0: Early odds with Joe Ostrowski.
2: Oregon's down by twelve. They're on the forty-five yard line with no timeouts.
1: Oregon's got an all-American field goal kicker.
2: Why didn't somebody
1: tell me? Bet with an edge.
0: He'd find out the kind of inside stuff nobody else knew, and that's what he put his money on. He even
3: figured out the different bounce you got off the different kinds of wood they used on college basketball courts. You know. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski. A friend of mine is very smart. Said I've been very lucky with gambling. I've never won.
2: The NBA Finals, the College World Series, that's right, only one day old, lots to bet on, and the Cy Young Awards, broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. We start off on early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670, The Score, Rick Camp, kind enough. To drop by on this Saturday morning. We're going to have to wait another day until we get to game number two of the NBA Finals. All sorts of ways to attack it. Maybe some betting markets that you were not even aware of. Follow Rick on Twitter at Rick C. Camp. You know him as executive producer of The Dan Bernstein Show. You hear his voice throughout there. Bulls radio post game, but most importantly, for the purpose of our discussion, NBA player props 444. Dot com, Rick, uh, my prediction going into the series was Boston wins, but Golden State takes game number one. Well, I was looking good for three quarters. They ended up evening things out. Golden State won the third quarter the other night by 24. Then Boston runs away with it as uh, they won the fourth quarter by 24 points. Shocking turn of events in a bad Tatum game.
3: Well, a bad Tatum shooting game. Yeah, I guess. 13 assists on 19 potential assists, at least after a while, and this is good for projecting Boston's offense moving forward, is that Tatum realized other guys had it, so maybe in a game where other guys aren't shooting as well, maybe he's still more willing to keep on chucking, but after a while, especially in their run in the fourth quarter, he was more than willing to just play distributor. Mm-hmm. And when he was doing that and, you know, you had Marcus Smart and Al Horford and Derek White hitting all those threes that uh, that Draymond Green's very skeptical of moving forward, like then you can really keep the offense going and that's how they score 120 points against it. You know, it's still a good defense like the Warriors.
2: Entering the fourth quarter, the win probability was 4% for the Boston Celtics. You could have gotten them alive at 9-1. to Let's talk about what the computers think of Boston. They have been high on Boston throughout. And if you really step back and think about it, they've been the best team in the NBA for arguably 4 to 5 months, but they keep getting it done on the road, man. No matter where it is, it doesn't matter. They are 8 and 2 in the playoffs on the road. They're 6 and 1 in their last 7. 2 and 0 oh at Brooklyn, 2 and 1 at Milwaukee, 3 and 1 at Miami, and then they start off on the right foot by taking out Golden State here. Last 31 road games, they have a record of 24 and 7. Really impressive. So the computers love them. The talking heads, all the analysts love the Warriors. All I hear is Steph MVP, Warriors win the title, and and the computers have been disagreeing throughout. Rick, when I see five thirty-eight, say ninety-two percent chance, ESPN's BPI, ninety-three percent chance. I don't agree with it because I have so much respect for the betting market, but if that's your model and you've been making money doing that and it's saying 90 plus percent, you've got to hammer Boston at this point because uh, the betting markets have Boston at minus 170 now.
3: That is so interesting to me because like, I get it. Since January 1, just looking at the numbers and really honestly looking at how they played, Boston by a country mile has been the best team in the NBA. Yep. I just don't know if I can go quite there with that with those higher percentages. Just no. you know, because you don't know what can happen. But the thing that helps Boston the most in terms of sustaining this throughout the series is Marcus Smart looked good in terms of mobility, dealing with the injury, all that stuff. Having multiple days between games, basically mm-hmm. throughout this entire mm-hmm. thing, is huge for him. And I think they could, if they had to survive without either him or Robert Williams for a game or two in the series by a mile, they could survive without Robert Williams more. That would make me lean a little bit towards in whatever game that is, maybe a Golden State team total over with some of what we saw of him protecting the rim, but Marcus Smart is so key for them with all those off-ball actions that you could tell in the first half Boston was kind of a little shell-shocked by everything that's going on with Golden State, and you get it because it's a team that doesn't run traditional style of offense, but once they were able to kind of figure it out a little bit, They clamped down. Steph Curry didn't have near as many, not just open, but wide open shots. Same for the other guys on the perimeter. And everybody looked pretty human in that game. Clay, 6-14. of Jordan Poole sucked. He was bad in that one. And with how Ime Yudoka is just unapologetic about, oh, there's a guy to go pick on? Let's do that literally every time down the court and force the other team to adjust. I don't know how much of a Jordan Poole series this really is going to be.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and that started in game number one. Well, game number two, we've had an adjustment up. So it closed, Golden State minus three and a half. We know Boston takes care of business, ends up being a route in the end. It's now four or four and a half, depending on your book. And the total also ticked up about a point and a half What do you think about the adjustment? Golden State, let's call it four, four and a half point favorites uh, in this matchup. And as we break this down, something that I'm considering is quarter bets. Golden State in the first quarter, minus one and a half. Golden State has been the best third quarter team in the NBA for a number of years. You can get that at minus one and a half. And uh, we, we know what happened with the season the fourth the other day.
3: I'm with you, Ahmed. I don't want to touch the side for the game. Yeah. But definitely in that smaller sample, whether it's the first or the third for Golden State, that's something I definitely want to look at because it sounds really cliche, but I don't want to discount knowing that they have their backs against the wall. You know, maybe a little extreme to say that at this point, but knowing if they lost game two, they'd have to go on the road and almost essentially win two games just to give themselves a prayer in this series. I think they're going to come out really hot. Whether that's and mind you, they did this in the in the game one too. That's the other part that's crazy. You shoot forty two percent from three on forty five attempts. You think you are going to win a game? You generally do. It's tough to ask for too much more. But in terms of starting the game, there are going to be adjustments on both sides. And maybe at this point for Boston, it's okay. Make Golden State show that they've adjusted to what Boston's initial adjustment was before you make anything, make any big changes yourself. So maybe that's. What leads to Golden State do being better for the first quarter mm-hmm. is essentially Boston waiting till the second quarter, maybe even halftime, before making any big adjustments themselves if it's even necessary.
2: Early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score with the scores, Rick Camp, NBA player, props. Check them out, 444.com, at Rick C. Camp. Is there anything that interests you for the series? I mentioned Boston, minus 170, around plus 130 going into the series. They steal game one on the road, and now they're minus 170 favorites. Golden State side, plus 140. Anything interesting there or series spread, meaning you'd have to win by a game and a half or take the team that's a dog
3: getting plus a game and a half? I'm trying not to be too much prisoner of the moment, mm-hmm. but Boston and minus one and a half being around even money, being plus money. Considering the things that went wrong for them and they were still able to win the game, also considering the things that went really right for them and being able to win that game, it's really tempting to look at that knowing that they've got those two home games. And Golden State can win on the road, but they seem to be a little more home road dependent, at least in this current iteration. So Boston minus a game and a half, I haven't placed the bet yet, but I am Definitely considering it. I wouldn't do it if it's it's got to be plus money for me to even consider it. But considering how well Boston's played and what they've had to go through in terms of path to get here, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Boston four two is the favorite plus two seventy. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I I even almost I didn't end up putting any of these in, and I'm sure like ninety percent of the time at least these are sucker bets. The predict each game result
2: everybody is
3: fascinated by that i don't know what i think it, i think it's because it's the ultimate spike the ball moment yeah also the odds are huge on it for good reason mm-hmm. but like i was thinking it was going to be if i was going to place one it would have been golden state game one boston two and three golden state four and then boston wins five and six
2: wait wait repeat that real quick so golden state okay you were wrong on game one correct but how, how about okay how would you do it the rest of the way
3: yeah, I think Golden State probably gets Game Two. Boston gets Game Three. <sighs> game Four is the real, obviously the real pivot point. I probably think God, does go? I think maybe Golden State gets. Well, no, actually, come on, make it two, two through four. Make it. Yeah, four. screw it. Yeah, we'll just basically flip Game One and Game Two from what I said before. So okay. then it's so you get Golden State winning Game Four. Boston gets Game Five, and Golden State closes it out at home in seven. No, Boston would close it in six. So you're 2-2, two, two, and then Boston gets two. <laughs> I thought that's what I said. I don't know.
2: No, you said Golden State, then cl- oh, it. Oh, well, I'm
3: and an idiot. I was idiot. very
2: confused. Okay, so you go, <laughs> let's clarify. Boston, Golden State, Boston, Golden State, Boston, Boston, right? Yes, that. Sees in six. Okay. Uh, I think that's fascinating. MVP, I disagree with these odds. Tatum's a favorite. I see plus one thirty. Steph's the second favorite, plus one sixty. That makes sense to me. It's a one zero series. Golden State was favored going in, and all sides point to if the Warriors win, it's Stephs as he scores thirty four in game number one. I'm not going to argue that one. I think there's an incredible amount of value in Jalen Brown at seven to one. What say you,
3: Rick? I think if there's a big adjustment to be made from the Golden State side, it's going to be attacking Jalen Brown's dribble. He still even turned the ball over, I think four times in game one, but if they attack his dribble even more, force those turnovers, because clearly Jalen Brown has a higher opinion of his handles than pretty much anybody else does, and his handles have been problematic. There could have been even more turnovers if he didn't dive on the floor and uh, get those balls himself, so maybe that's a looking game, two is whatever his turnover prop ends up being, but... That's a reason that gives me a little bit of concern. However, I am also someone that is uh, going to try and delude myself into thinking my uh, pre-series Al Horford 100, 120 to one has, has an actual chance.
2: Man, I heard there were some three hundred to
3: ones out there prior to Game One. <sighs> I did not see. I did not see those one tw- of you know of the books that I'm looking at. I had uh, hundred and twenty, and I still feel pretty good about that. Especially because Al Horford is he's of the bigs in this series. He's got, and I, I'm not considering Draymond to big. He's got the highest floor in terms of minutes.
2: Do you think Horford was the MVP of game one? Let's say you're doing MVP of that game. No, it was, was probably, probably Jalen Brown. It was okay. probably
3: Jalen Brown, but the numbers look better for Al Horford. I think if Al Horford wants to do it, though, his rebound production has to pick up. He's got to, I think if he's going to win MVP, he's got to average. I think before the series, I said, if he was around like That could be a thing where you could maybe tell the story if you get this type of Jason Tatum series where the points just aren't there or you're just not getting enough overall and Jalen Brown has some inconsistencies, that could be it.
2: Well, individual performances, let's go there. Right to the props. Points for game number two. Steph, all the way up to 28.5. Some have it posted at 29.5. Tatum, 26-and-a-half or 27-and-a-half, a A reminder to shop around people. So if you want the over on Tatum, of course you're going to play that 26-and-a-half instead of uh, playing that 27-and-a-half, which might get you in the end. Jalen Brown at 24-and-a-half. Those are the three points props north of 20. Clay sitting at 19-and-a-half. Points-wise, anything interest?
3: It may just be Wiggins. 16-and-a-half scares me a little, especially because he got to 20, but he had to shoot above 50 percent to be able to do it but he's getting quality looks that's something that i think sometimes people forget is they just look at a field goal attempts number and think every shot is the same but you have to think about per player how open are they what is the value of each field goal attempt for a person and sometimes people think of that just in terms of bigs because it's like oh well robert williams went four for four in this game for eight points So the value of each field goal attempt is going to be a little bit higher for Robert Williams because of where he's going to be on the court. But for Andrew Wiggins, it's he's going to be open. Like there were times where I think they started the game with uh, with Robert Williams on Wiggins and basically daring him to hit jump shots. But Wiggins basically said, no, I'm going to eat up this space and make a play from there. So I, I think that's interesting. So, yeah, probably Wiggins. The Derek White numbers are fascinating to me, just because of how well he played in Game 1 and how much they're going to go crazy in Game 2.
2: What are the Derek White numbers? Because uh, not everyone posted the points right away for White. And the threes made. We were discussing this the other day. Actually, during the game, we were going back and forth about it. Are they going to keep it at 1.5 and and just juice it to the extreme, or are they going to bump it up to 2.5? Minus 130
3: on an over 1.5 threes. Oh, so, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than that. Assuming that ends up being more or less the standard across the board, I may end up looking for some over two-and-a-half alt line. You know, he only had eight attempts. That is something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. But the confidence is there with the stroke. And I think that's the big thing is he's not hesitating anymore. Points prop, I'm seeing a juiced over nine-and-a-half. So considering he played 32 minutes in game one, I think this series suits him so much better than the previous series. I think his minutes floor is pretty high as long as he stays out of foul trouble over nine and a half. If that keeps going up, which I kind of assume it might get to 10 and a half by the time you get to game time, just because people see game one, they're going to want to bet those, you know, bet that number. So maybe that's something you bet mm-hmm. earlier rather than later. I think he's going to be in double digits because I think, if you, if you take anything out of Dr- what Draymond said after the game, they're probably going to dare him to do it again.
2: Rebounds. You've been one to bet on Horford rebounds throughout the regular season. What about this game two spot? Horford, 8.5. There's also a 9.5 if you're looking for plus money out there. Draymond, 7.5 or 8.5. And, and Kevin Looney, the favorite to average the most rebounds per game, is set at 8.5. Anything pop rebounds? or And go to assist, too, if you want.
3: Uh, Kavan Looney over assists. I actually think is something that's been fascinating. <laughs> he's been. I know it's it's the most me thing possible because it, it's it like really what's nobody else thinking of or even care less about. So I'm seeing about minus one ten for Looney on over two and a half assists. But if you look at his game logs, he's been well over that because he can catch. They'll they'll force him to catch the ball around the free throw line, but he's he's a good decision maker. He just doesn't get many opportunities. So it might be like four assists on six potential assists or something like that. So the potential assist number isn't there, but again, almost like with, uh, with, like I was mentioning with shot attempts, the quality of each potential assist for him is a little higher than some other guys because the defense will collapse collapsing just a little bit on him. So maybe he catches Draymond going baseline or he kicks it out to three point shooter.
2: Rick, am I a sucker? If I go to the Robert Williams blocks, well, it's, A juiced one and a half or you get plus money on the two and a half. Four in game number one. The dude makes an impact every step he takes on the court.
3: Yeah, he's the best vertical threat offensively and defensively in this series. And it's not particularly close. Man, I've had a hard time betting it just because, you know, Golden State only had 26 points in the paint. They don't take that many shots in the paint at all. So in game one, 29 field goal attempts in the paint, out of their 88 field goal attempts overall. So that's something that, that scares me a little bit. Can he block a floater that's a little further out? Absolutely. He has that ability. Also, with him having those four blocks, is there going to be a little bit of an adjustment to try and get him further away from the basket? Now, obviously, he can close a lot of ground. If it's a like two and a half is at pretty decent plus number, I would consider it. But if you're getting even close to even money, I personally couldn't do it.
2: Early odds of Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score, Rick Camp hanging out on this Saturday morning, getting you set for game number two and some series plays in the NBA finals. They've reposted the leader, points per game, rebounds per game, assists per
3: game, threes made in the series. Anything, Pop? I think threes made is done. Steph has already started to uh, set himself far enough out. He's given himself enough of a, a cushion to where I think he's fine. I think that's that's pretty much gonna be him, and the market says as much. So I'm not really gonna touch that one. Assists is fascinating. If Jason Tatum does shoot the ball better, I think his floor is generally around four assists a game. Him having the lead that he does. So he had 13 assists, and then the next highest was you had what, Jalen Brown, Draymond Green, Kavon Looney, and Steph Curry all with five. So you're telling me. Someone else is going to have multiple double-digit assist games. Like maybe Draymond does that, but the thing is, Boston isn't leaving him quite as much as other teams have done, which doesn't give Draymond those passing lanes that he loves to have. So
2: I thought I thought Tatum was going to be a bigger favorite than what he is around minus one thirty.
3: Yeah, I'm not someone to bet minus one thirty on pretty much anything. Yeah, but I think Tatum is still the look. If I really was forced to bet somebody else, I guess it would be Steph, but I don't feel great about that considering how much he was clearly looking for his own shot. This is so good. I love this.
2: You can also do stuff like, will any player break the record for most threes made in a finals game, which means at least 10. You could bet that at 15 to 1. All sorts of stuff. I feel like those records are broken on a nightly basis because the volume is so much higher
3: than it we've ever seen it. It really is, but breaking that 10 number, I mean, Steph had 14 attempts. He went 7-14. to He lit it up in the first half, obviously cooled off significantly after that. The thing is, too, these are fun offenses to think about, but they're the top two defenses as well. Man. So especially in terms of guarding the three-point line, there are going to be guys that are given opportunities. Horford, Smart, White, come on down. Andrew Wiggins on the Golden State side. But I just don't see anyone getting enough opportunities for quality enough looks to be able to like, especially with that one, go over it. Here's a
2: fun one that's twenty to one. Will either team break the record for most threes made in a finals game, which is twenty-five plus. That's what you need to cash
3: that ticket. Okay, so both of these teams would need to get even more ignorant about their three-point shooting (laughs) and hit and and like if Boston, if Boston took nine more threes. They would tie and you kept the same percentage, they would either tie or break that record. Which was
2: were, above 50% in game one.
3: Right. They were <laughs> 21 of 41. They would need to get to like 26 of 50, which yeah. 50 out of like 85 to 90 shots is kind of asinine. I know it's lame because you want to bet something, but although at 20 to one, there might be value that's... on it as long as long as you're being smart about what you're placing on it. That's 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 a sprinkle, as we'll call it. That, that's a sprinkle at this point. So we might get seven games of this. Right. And,
2: and I'm betting on Golden State, too. I don't know. It's just fun.
3: Yeah, Golden State, 19 of 45. So they were closer in terms of attempts, Ooh. but still. Like, some of those attempts. You had Draymond take four of them. Okay. He might make one. And they weren't trailing throughout. Right.
2: So what's the volume going to be if they're down at Boston?
3: Yeah, if Boston gets out to like a... Middle of the second quarter, Boston's up by, like, 17. Sure. Yeah. There there could be more there. There absolutely could, especially if, like, Robert Williams is really establishing himself and, and Golden State just says, screw it. We can't even bother.
2: All right, Rick, we gave the people some ideas. We talked about Boston winning in six for game two tomorrow. Golden State, look out in the first quarter. The third quarter, you love these Derek White props for Game Two: points, threes made, Kevon Looney assists, Robert Williams blocks. Don't know if you're completely on board there. Anything else? Do we miss anything? We got it all covered.
3: I think we're good. If anything, the the Draymond rebounds might be interesting on the over because man, I'm like I bet pre-series Horford to have the most total rebounds, not the highest average, but total rebounds in this series but only having 13 rebounding chances in game one scares me a little bit with where he was on the floor. Draymond and then Looney playing 25 minutes and getting nine. So those two guys do have me a little bit worried there, but Draymond getting 11 in game one, you know, he's going to have the minutes no matter what, as long as he can stay out of foul trouble, he's going to have the minutes and the opportunity. So it's, it's one of those two guys still, because Williams, Robert Williams isn't going to play enough minutes overall Jalen Brown with seven. Kind of interesting. So maybe, maybe that's if you're looking for a more of a long shot play or a longer shot play, that's your guy.
2: Draymond plus three thirty for rebounds leader in the series.
3: Yeah, I'd I'd probably uh I'd probably put a little on that. Put
2: a little something, sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh Rick Camp at Rick C. Camp on Twitter, NBA playerpost for 4.com. You hear him during the Dan Bernstein show, Monday through Friday, nine a.m. to noon. Thank you so much. Uh, Enjoy this. And we'll probably have to reconvene when we get close to the draft. Now 19 days away, and I'm still waiting for some of these sports books to post more draft props for us.
3: The draft sneaks up on me every year. I can't Uh wait.
2: Pretty sure we covered every NBA Finals angle with Campy, but what about the hardball? Not a lot of Major League Baseball to get excited about locally, so you might want to give college baseball a shot because we have College World Series long shots next. This is Early Odds, Saturdays 8 to 9 a.m. on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. The Score listener line is open 24-7, 365, and powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Welcome back. You've got Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski on Sports Radio 670 The Score. The College World Series started yesterday. And Tennessee is on a tier all by themselves at plus 250 to win the whole thing. Talked about them a couple months ago at 25-1 to 1 on BetQL Daily. And we began our preview with Ben Upton with those Tennessee Vols before looking at some long shots. Uh, here's Upton with me on BetQL Daily. Take a
1: listen. Listen, the, the, the fact that Tennessee is plus 250 to win the College World Series is just obnoxious. Uh, you know, I've been following college baseball gambling. I'm going to legally say since I quit or since I graduated from, from division one baseball in 2017, but I always paid attention to the lines before that. Usually the favorite's going to be looking at about plus 800, plus 900 in that range. Like I think last year, Arkansas, who had a tremendous year was like plus 800 going into the postseason and, uh, and Tennessee at plus 250 is, I mean, four times better than that. So they're the heaviest favorite I've ever seen. Probably the heaviest favorite we will ever see in our our lifetime. They're that good. So and the fact that you got the value of twenty five to one early in the season, um, you know, I was preaching it early on, like, hey, this Tennessee team went to Omaha last year, got a good chance of coming back with uh, a lot of a lot of starters coming back. Um, But yeah, you getting ten times the value there by putting the bet in in March or. Early April versus now, I mean, that's what betting's all about. It's all about expected value return, and and you got that right there.
2: Let's start with uh, some of the value that you like. You felt that the Tennessee number is way too short. That makes perfect sense to me. It seems like uh, the odds makers are putting Tennessee on a tier by themselves. And then we go down a little bit to Stanford, Oregon State, maybe Va Tech, maybe a a tier after that you could find uh, more value with Texas. North Carolina, Oklahoma State, Miami, a ton of teams in that 25-to-1 range. But if you're jumping in now, looking at the futures board, Ben, where should we uh, focus?
1: You can still get Georgia Southern 200-to-1. And I know it's a long shot. But one, they're hosting a regional at their home field. And two, they would be matching up with Tennessee in the super regional, which is literally just the best two out of three series, obviously assuming Tennessee wins their regional as well. Um, But, you know, to get past Tennessee that early, something that we saw Arkansas slip up to NC State last year uh, in that same spot, I mean, 200 to one on DraftKings is obnoxiously the best value you're going to find for a number one seed in the regional. So my eyeballs go quickly there. Louisiana Tech, 150 to one. Uh, That's another long shot that I'm willing to play. They just won the Conference USA tournament, which is a uh, you know one of the harder tournaments out there to win, and they're a two seed. Um, so the two seed there is fine. You know they have Texas in their their regional, and then they would match up with like the East Carolina Super Regional. So I think Louisiana Tech could easily get to Omaha, but you know going back to those like twenty-five to one uh, odds, you know there's a lot of good teams in that area. Uh, Notre Dame at thirty to one, Oklahoma State twenty-five to one, Louisville thirty to one. Vanderbilt, North Carolina, those two intrigue me a lot. It's hard to put all my chips onto one team. Uh, you know, I like, I would like to sprinkle a few of these and just hope that, uh, you know, Tennessee slips up somewhere. The, the cool thing is, you know, I think there are going to be some sports books that literally make it Tennessee versus the field.
0: Um, so then what are some of the other long shots that you have your eye on?
1: So when I hear the word long shot, I, my, you know, my head automatically goes more than like 50 to one. Yeah. I don't know what you guys the long shots are, uh, but I'm like, a, I'm a big dice roller here. Like I want something <laughs> that, you know, you can put just a little bit on and a little bit on and then, uh, you know, win a whole bunch. So I think the most realistic long shot out there would be someone like Florida state, a hundred to one. I know they're a three seed. I know they struggle down the stretch, but when it comes down to like talent, and coaching pitching staff um you know i think they get an a in all three of those categories so you know you get a blue blood in florida state at 100 to one they're in an auburn regional which doesn't scare me there uh, and once they get to omaha anything can happen that would probably be my best long shot either them or oklahoma 75 to one oklahoma is the hottest team in the country kind of the opposite mm-hmm. of florida state right now but both of those teams could could easily just out outplay yeah, their opponent, everybody besides maybe Tennessee.
2: With Ben Upton, at Ben underscore Upton 5 on Twitter, hosting 11.7 podcast, talking some uh, college baseball. So, Ben, in addition to those big futures and some of those long shot numbers that are available, you can also bet on the regionals. You mentioned Georgia Southern, they're plus 250. I saw La Tech, they're plus 340. Are, are you going to be doing some regional bets as well?
1: Yeah, so my strategy with regional bets – I'm going to take a lot of one seeds um, just because – so I don't know. I, I haven't perfected the strategy yet, but mm-hmm. I'm going to take a lot of one seeds to win the regionals just because it's hard to beat those teams twice you know, a double elimination. But I'm going to be taking a lot of underdogs um, for daily lines. So there's going to be a lot of guys – like a lot of teams, for example, like Gonzaga might be an underdog plus 140 against um, Virginia Tech. I might take that line for the daily lines and uh, and see if you can get plus value with the futures uh, to win the, the regionals. But take the favorites for to win the regionals, but maybe pick a few upsets during the regionals uh, and try to get those plus odds.
2: Ben Upton of the 11.7 podcast with me on BetQL Daily during that appearance. Ben called Campbell plus 125 big before they ended up as minus 160 favorites. They smoked Georgia Tech yesterday. Ben's going to make a return visit. The AL and NL Cy Young races is already quite intriguing. And Jim Miller and I disagree with the favorites for both leagues. So we tell you whom we do like. You've got early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Saturdays 8 to 9 a.m. on 670 The Score and the Odyssey app. It's time to elevate your live betting game for the NBA Finals. Introducing PointsBet's new exclusive feature, Live Same Game Parlay for NBA. For the first time ever, build the perfect live same game parlay only with PointsBet. Combine your favorite bets anytime during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and much more. Now during the NBA Finals, get your first bets risk-free up to $2,000. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Welcome back. This is Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. And our weekly contributor is Jim Miller of Hawthorne Racecourse and PointsBet Sportsbook. Jim, I know you're thinking awards market, and I've been all over that with the uh, various MLB futures right around Memorial Day, always a good time to check in. And it's starting to look like uh, value is appearing. And I know Cy Young is on the mind Let's start with the American League. Your favorite is Justin Verlander. Second favorite, Kevin Gaussman. Then we've got Garrett Cole, Shane McClanahan, and that's seven to one range. It drops a little bit to Nestor Cortez. Cortez is 11 to one. Uh, just a matter of a few weeks ago, he was 50 to one. So, what are we thinking with AL side?
0: Well, and we talked so much about this last year because there was so much of that Lancelin, Carlos Rodon talk. Mm -hmm. And Robbie Ray just kind of flew under the radar for a while. And you look at this year, Verlander's your favorite right now. There's so many guys just putting up better numbers that are such a better value. And you mentioned Shane McClanahan. He's opened the season at five and two, a two ERA. His strikeout to walk ratio was almost eight to one. I mean, that's insane when you're putting up numbers like that early on. And then a guy like Nestor Cortez was a guy flying under the radar. Like you mentioned, he all of a sudden moved from 50 to 11. This is a guy with an ERA of 1.7. Again, you're playing in a market that's winning right now. You're playing in the biggest market in the world. And this is a guy that I think might hold around that 10 to 1, 11 to 1 number for some time. I think that could be a decent value on him. What do you think? All right, let's uh, go back to the favorite part with Verlander.
2: Yeah. There are some legitimate numbers that I trust that voters take a hard look at before placing their vote. That would suggest Justin Verlander is not a top 15 pitcher in the American League. Why is he the favorite? I don't understand. I know if you're strictly looking at ERA, a lot of that looks great. He doesn't have the strikeouts. Nope. The strand rate is astronomically high. There's no way that's sustainable. And some of the other peripherals are like, okay, he's pretty good. He's not great by any means. So I, I don't understand how Verlander is a favorite. Let, let's start there. So naturally we, we find
0: value elsewhere, right? Cause Verlander isn't yeah. priced properly. Well, and the thing, like you mentioned the stram rate, that's a huge thing. His ERA could be a full run higher very easily. You've had a bullpen that's bailed you out time. And again, you do play for a team that isn't first place right now, but to me, he should be in that range of a guy, like maybe a, a Nestor Cortez, maybe even higher. I would have expected 12 to 1, 13 to 1, 15 to 1. You tend to wonder, though, how much of this is just because of the story surrounding Justin Verlander and the comeback, yeah. coming back off injury, coming back at this age, still pitching effectively. I wonder how much of that is influencing those that have created this guy as your current, say, four and a half to one favorite right now.
2: Okay. So when I was going over these odds and Verlander put a line through the name immediately, so, there's probably some value on the American League side. I marked off three names. One of them okay. was your guy, McClanahan. At plus 750, it's pretty good. The strikeouts are there. He's just flying under the radar. He's probably going to have a good year, and the peripherals back it up. Like, this is real. This is yep. not fluky by any means. So, I expect him to continue to uh, be in the picture. I have a long shot that I'm going to get to in a second. Here's one that's close to the McClanahan number, and I don't understand it. The favorite should be Kevin Gaussman. Oh, yes. Why is he plus 650 at this juncture? He checks every single box that you're looking for, and the peripherals are actually better than he's
0: performed. And if you're into war, he's nearly a full win better than any other pitcher in the American League. Numbers are incredible too. I mean, his strikeout to walk rate is insane. And he's pitching for a good team. ERA is down. And he goes out there every fifth day. He's taking the ball. It's shocking to me. And there's no reason why he can't maintain it. We saw Robbie Ray do it. Why can't Gaussman do it? He could very easily just follow in the steps of Robbie Ray. And he's another guy that, again, because of the market, he might hang around that number for a little bit. His numbers are are off the charts right now, Joe. And another guy with numbers off the charts, but
2: he's still a long shot. Tell me if you would take a shot. We've had our chuckles at the Detroit Tigers, but there's no ah, reason I to laugh. Going with. There's no reason to laugh when Scooball's pitching against you. Yep, He's still 40 to one. And that amazes me. Do you think he can keep this up over the course of an entire season?
0: 40 to one. That's really appealing. And here's the thing. He's in a division right now that I would say is almost somewhat in shambles a little bit. The White Sox were expected to run away with the division, and they haven't. Cleveland is still hanging around in there. Minnesota's off to a great start. Everybody thought the Tigers were going to be good at the start of the year. But here's the thing. Scoble's pitching great despite the numbers that his team's putting up in the win-loss column. What happens if they go on a run? What happens if they win 7, eight, nine, 10 in a row? And he's a part of that. And all of a sudden, you're back in the mix in the division. He has good stuff, and he's going to play a whole lot of games against teams that maybe aren't that great right now. Mm -hmm. And he could continue to to rack up the numbers. He's a guy, Joe, that I could totally see knocking on the door of somewhere between 18 to 20 wins at the end of the season. Mm, That could get it done.
2: Certainly can. This is early out to Joe Ostrowski. Sports Radio 670, the SCORE weekly contributor here on the show. We've got... Jim Miller on the horn of Points Bet Sportsbook and Hawthorne Race course National League side, we start at the very top. Corbin Burns, your favorite at plus 350. Okay. I don't hate so- it as much as I hated Verlander, but he's got the name value. He's got the history. He's a superstar pitcher, so they've got him up there. The second favorite, maybe a bit of a surprise to some, Sandy Alcantara. Of the Miami Marlins is your second favorite. Then we've got Joe Musgrove, 10 to one, really bunched up here. Carlos Rodon at 11, Walker Bueller, 12, Pablo Lopez, also 12. And then it drops down a little bit to Zach Wheeler. So overall thoughts, is there any, uh,
0: any value here? All right. Two names I'm going to throw out at you. One of them you mentioned, look at the season and the start Joe Musgrove has had Mm. five and to open the season. 1.86 ERA. He's almost a 6-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Playing for a team in a division that they should be competitive all season long. I think San Fran's playing better. We know the Dodgers are good. But Musgrove's still off to a very good start. So we can start there. The other one that I want to get into, because I think the numbers could come down as the season goes on here. And I want to get your thoughts. And it may be completely outlandish, but the guy's 80-to-1 right now. What about Carlos Carrasco of the Mets? open the season at five and one right now his ERA is only a tick under four, but he doesn't walk guys. He's out there again, every fifth day logging innings, picking up victories for a team that's playing good baseball. I tend to wonder if he's a guy that you could catch at a huge number and maybe he can continue to put up W's and get into the mix too.
2: First off, just looking at how things stack up in the national league side, this is probably a market that you want to attack. There's no leader like in the American League. Gaussman is a leader right now. You're trying to catch him in my mind, even though Verlander's a favorite. There's no leader here. It's right. completely bunched up, Jim. Like I could say Musgrove. I could say Wheeler. I could say Burns, Freed, Alcantara. You could make a case for all of them that they, they would be the leader. I don't think there's a leader in the clubhouse. So I think we should point that out, that anytime you find value and someone is up there, go ahead. If you want to make a case, I don't have a problem with that. As far as Carrasco, what I've tried to figure out right now, and I was talking about it the other day on BQL Daily, is which player on the Mets, new, number one media market, is going yep. to get the credit? Is it going to be Lindor? Is it going to be Alonzo, possibly for National League MVP, which has tightened up a bit? Or is it going to be one of those pitchers? Because I could certainly see that being the case. Uh, Musgrove, he's right up there, and there's value there at his number of 10 to 1. With a sub-2 ERA, yeah, I, I don't think you could really complain. I would like to see the strikeouts be higher because I know how yep. important they are to a lot of the voters. But uh, but there's value there, and there's no leader. I don't even think I would make Burns the favorite. Uh, let me throw a couple of names at you. because And I've got uh, a long shot in there as well because I always do. <laughs> What do you think about Rodon at 10 to 1? It feels like, okay, he had one or two bad starts, but over the course of the season, he's been really strong, and he should be higher up on the
0: odds board. And here's the thing. He was really good last year when he was out on the mound and healthy, and you almost tend to wonder, okay, they backed off him a little bit late in the season. Maybe they backed off of him too much, but he signed this big deal. This is a team that's going to go out there and expect much more out of him this year. You're going to look at a guy that you have to think that they're going to hope they get 30 starts out of. And if you get 30 starts out of Carlos Rodon, okay, all of a sudden now you're probably looking at, say, the 170, 175 inning range at the end of the season. That could be enough to put him in the mix. We know he has good stuff. And all of a sudden, with that shift over to the National League, he's facing hitters all season long that he has never seen in his career. And that's advantage to the pitcher. I could see him as a good value there for sure.
2: That Carrasco 80 to one just pops to you. The problem is he doesn't have the strikeouts. Right. And I'm not sure that this is a sustainable start that he's had, but obviously he gets a ton of credit for what he's accomplished. Let me throw one out that I have not seen listed the majority of the week. So I'm just going to put this out there. A guy that should be the favorite for National League Rookie of the Year. I think Ooh. it's crazy that Suzuki is still the co-favorite hanging around. What Mackenzie Gore has accomplished in limited work, and you would think he would stay in the rotation, but who knows what San Diego ends up doing. A lot of his numbers put him top six in the National League. It's probably not going to happen with a
0: rookie, but I'd like to see a number posted for him. And here's the thing. you Maybe you go to points bet and you you request a number because you can ask for the name of bet. Why not? Because Suzuki, we thought, was going to run away with this thing two weeks, three weeks into the season. Yeah, He's not, and nobody else is stepping up. This could be the year that a pitcher, especially on a team that we know is going to play well, we know the Cubs aren't very good, and the Cubs are probably going to be hovering around 70 wins at the end of the season. Why can't a guy like Gore, who, again, is going to be on a contender, he's probably going to be, what do you think, 150 innings at the end of the season? That's no reason to think why he can't be – at least given a look, I would not be surprised. Even if that number was requested, I would say you'd probably see him around 10 to one right now. What what would you expect? Oh boy. It should be a lot higher. If he's not listed,
2: it should be a lot higher, but it won't be. I would think at least 50, but we'll see. What we've learned is there is value on both sides because wouldn't you agree? Both favorites are wrong.
0: Yes. I'd stay away from both favorites way, way away, especially in the American League. Early odds with Joe Uschowski. Jim Miller, tell us about the horses today. What's on your mind? All right, well, we grabbed another winner last week at Hawthorne, so let's see what we can do today. Three races at Hawthorne again. We'll bet them all across the board. Race four, bet the seven, Tango City on the turf course across. Race seven, bet the four, Recklessness, horse that's been knocking on the door. And then race eight, our stakes race for the day, Bet the two-horse Wildwoods Beauty across the board. That one's 10 to 1 in the morning line, so hopefully you can make a little bit of money and get ready for Belmont next week.
2: Yeah, that's right. Jim Miller of Hawthorne Racecourse and PointsBet Sportsbook breaking down Belmont next Saturday morning. Talk then, Jim.
0: You got it, Joe. Good luck.
2: All right, follow me on Twitter, at Joe Ostrowski. That's at Joe Ostrowski. Back on BetQL Daily on Monday, 8 to 11 a.m., live on the Odyssey app and 105.9 FM HD2. And I'm always there on the podcast, BetQL Daily. My regular score appearances Tuesday through Friday inside the clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Hawes. next. Catch those tickets and keep it locked on 670 The Score.